You know, there are certain historical events in our lifetime that are of such significance and impact that we're able to recall where we were and what we were doing at the moment that the event was taking place. The Apollo 11 landing on the moon, the first time that man would land and set foot on an extraterrestrial body, was one of those memorable moments in my life. In the summer of 1969, between my sophomore and junior years in high school, I was working in a full-service uh, Texaco gas station at the corner of North Haven Road and Central Expressway in North Dallas. It was a Sunday afternoon on July 20th, 1969, at 3.17 p.m. Central Daylight Time, when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin guided the lunar module Eagle to the historic first manned landing on the surface of the moon with less than 30 seconds of fuel remaining. I took a late lunch break that day since I was going to be closing the gas station later on that evening. History was being made that afternoon and I was filling my face with Mexican food and sopapillas at Pancho's All-You-Can-Eat Mexican Buffet in Richardson. After closing the gas station later that evening, I went home and watched the grainy black and white images on television with my family as Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon's surface at 9.56 p.m., Central Daylight Time. The den in our parents' house 
had a sliding glass door that opened up to an outdoor patio. And as we were watching on the TV history being made, I stepped outside of the sliding glass door, leaving it open. It was a warm, clear night with a full moon directly overhead. And as I stood there on the patio looking into the den, watching on TV what was happening, at the same moment, I could glance upward directly overhead me at the full moon. And glancing back and forth alternatingly between the TV and the moon directly overhead, I could hardly believe what I was watching and realizing what was taking place above me. It was one of the most incredible moments of my life to realize that man was walking on the moon. And as amazing as that historical event was for all mankind, even more incredible was the realization for me several years later to realize that God had walked on the earth. You know, though little has changed since man walked on the moon, our world has significantly been changed because God walked on the earth. The fact that God walked on the earth in the person of Jesus Christ, continues to impact our world and our lives to this day. On this Christmas Day, I would like for each one of us to reflect on that time when God walked the earth and how our world has been and continues to be impacted by that historic event And what difference that that makes in your life and in my life today. You know, at our Christmas Eve candlelight service last night, Michael Loudermilk spoke uh, to us about why it was necessary that Jesus came. And today I would like us to continue to reflect not only on why it was necessary that Jesus came but to reflect also about how our world and how our lives are different because he came. You know, in the Christmas movie classic, It's a Wonderful Life, Jimmy Stewart's character, George Bailey, is given the opportunity to see what our world would be like if George Bailey had not been born. And I want you to think for a moment with me what our world would be like and how your life would be different if Jesus had not come, if God had not walked the earth. And I invite you to turn in your Bibles to John's Gospel, John chapter 1. I'm going to be camping on one verse, verse 14. And here I would like us to not only look at the Word becoming flesh, but again, 
what difference that makes in our world and in our lives. In John 14, in John chapter 1, verse 14, we read, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. We read here that God walked the earth to communicate with us. The word here for word, the Greek word logos, means speaking a message or words. You know, think with me for a moment what we do with words. We take words and we put them into sentences and we take sentences and we put those into paragraphs and we take paragraphs and we put those into chapters and we take chapters and we put those into books. We communicate with words. And the fact that the Word became flesh, the Word is Jesus, is God's communication with us. Look over in John 1, 18, where it says, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him. Jesus has explained God the Father to us. He is our communication from God and in a form and in a way that we can understand. But John goes on to say that the Word became flesh. It says that Jesus did not merely appear like a man, but he came as a man. If uh, you want to turn over to Philippians chapter 2, where reading in verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. That's what theologians refer to as the kenosis, the combining of the essence of God with the essence of humanity. And Jesus was not a man who became God, but he was God who became a man or took on humanity. Uh, you know, we sing at Christmas time. I just love the hymns of Christmas. There is such great theology in those Christian or in those Christmas hymns. We sing, O come all ye faithful. And in that Christmas hymn, we sing the words, Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. And to say that the Word became flesh is to speak of the incarnation that Michael spoke last night so eloquently on. The incarnation, a central doctrine of the Christian faith. What is meant by the term incarnation? Well, if you're like me, 
Many of us in this room, if not all, enjoy Mexican food, do we not? How could you live in San Antonio and not love Mexican food? And obviously some of us love it a little more than others. <laughs> but think with me, perhaps you've enjoyed a dish called chili con carne, chili with meat. And not to be disrespectful in any way, but to illustrate the Word becoming flesh. Jesus as God incarnate is to say that Jesus is God with meat. God, or the Word becoming flesh, taking on human flesh. This is not flesh in the sense that... Um, the means that he took upon himself a human nature in the sense that this is a word that we read often in the New Testament referring to that struggle between the flesh and the, and the spirit. It's not speaking in the sense of uh, the sinfulness or the weakness of flesh. You know, I think of where Paul over in Romans says, for what the law could not do, Weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. No, when it says that the Word became flesh, what this is referring to here is the essence of human nature that He takes on. It's the essence of human nature in sinless perfection. You know, many of us perhaps in this room struggle with the idea of the kenosis, the incarnation. How could a holy and righteous God take on the sinfulness of humanity in His own person? Well, He doesn't. What is the essence of human nature? It's not sinfulness. Yes, we are fallen creatures as a result of the fall there in the garden where man chose to, to just go his own way and to do his own thing. Fallen man is not the essence of our humanity. The essence of our humanity is pre-fall. So we read over in Genesis chapter 1 where... It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He created them in sinless perfection. That is the essence of human nature. That is the human nature that the God-man took on when the Word became flesh. Note too that John speaks here that not only did the Word become flesh, but it says that He is the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word here, begotten, does not in any way imply that Jesus is a created being. You know, we read in the beginning last night, uh, Michael referenced 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In other words, that Jesus, the God-man, has eternally existed from eternity past and will exist with him through eternity future. Us as created beings, we have a beginning, and yet when we have that beginning at conception, we are then eternal creatures living for all eternity. Jesus, like God, because he is God, has no beginning, he has no end. He's the Alpha and the Omega that John speaks of in Revelation. He is begotten in the sense that he is the unique Son of God. He is different from you and from me. He is different from those of us who have put our trust, our faith, our confidence, our hope in Christ Jesus for our salvation. Yes, we are sons of God. And yet we are, Jesus is the only, the unique, begotten God, Son of the Father. He is eternal and of one essence with the Father. You know, in the Christmas hymn, O Holy Night, we sing, Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. You know, the world that Jesus came into was not only a fallen world, but as such, it was a dark, dark world. It was not a good time to be born. And yet we know the Scripture says that when the fullness of time came, that at the right appointed time, chosen by God, that Jesus was born. And yet, what was the world like then, and how is the world different today because God walked the earth? Because God walked the earth in the person of Jesus, the world has significantly changed. Areas impacted including, include education. You know, I think of the public school system in this country that really had its inception of the desire to teach children not only how to read, but how to read the Scriptures specifically. Because God walked the earth, the area of government has been impacted. I think of over in Isaiah thirty-three twenty-two, where our own form of government... And with the checks and balances of the separation of powers and the fact that that model 
comes from the Word of God. It's patterned after Isaiah's words in verse 22 of the 33rd chapter, where he says, For the Lord is our judge. The Lord is our lawgiver. The Lord is our king. He will save us. There you have the three separations of power, the judicial, the legislative, the executive. Not only has the area of education and government, and not just here in our country, but around this world, not only have those areas been impacted because God walked the earth in the person of Jesus Christ, but the area of civil liberties, science, economics, art, medicine, and music. You know, time does not permit us this morning to delve into each of these areas. And yet probably, not probably, but most assuredly, that the most significant area of impact that we have seen in this world and in our lives is because of the value that Jesus, the God-man, put on human life. You know, think with me for a moment that when Jesus came and was born under the Roman Empire, uh, the, the cruelties that existed at the time of his birth and under the, 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 the thumb, the oppressive thumb and boot of the Roman Empire, of the Roman emperors. Um, you and I ca- cannot even imagine what it was like to live in a time like that, the oppression that took place. I mean, even at Christmas time, where we read that Herod, fearing the birth of Christ, would then have all males two years and younger, slaughtered. I mean, unimaginable, unimaginable oppression that we read of that existed at that time. I think of over in Matthew 19 where Jesus quotes what we read in Genesis 1, the fact that God created them, male and female. You know, anytime you read something that Jesus is reiterating or reemphasizing from the Old Testament. That's important. And so Jesus, the God-man, the Word made flesh, is restoring or reaffirming the value of human life, of your life, and of my life. Every one of us Every life represented here in this room, every life on the face of this earth is of value to God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The value of children that Jesus gave or re-emphasized, we read over in Matthew 19 where it says, he says, In verse 14, let the children alone and do not hinder them from coming to me. 
For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Or think for a moment where he goes on to say in verse, or going back, he says in verse 2, He called a child to himself and set him before them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. He says, whoever then humbles himself as this child, he is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. How did the world change because God walked the earth? He restored the value of children, which in that day had little or no value. But he also restored and reemphasized the value of women. Think about where he met the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And she says, how is it that you being a Jew or even as a man are addressing me as a woman? You see, because God walked the earth, he restored or reemphasized the value of women who in that day were not of or not looked on and treated with the value that they deserve and the respect. You know, as I refer back to the Apollo 11 landing on the moon, this is the plaque on one of the landing struts of the lunar uh, lander plant landing platform. And notice that on the plaque where it says, we came in peace for all mankind. You know, beginning with Apollo 11 in July 69 and ending with Apollo 17 in December of 1972, NASA successfully completed six manned moon landings, safely returning the three-man crews to the Earth. A total of 12 American astronauts have walked the moon. More than 100 pieces of artificial material have been left on the moon's surface, including six lunar module launch pads, six American flags, three lunar rovers, six lunar modules, an array of scientific experiments, several golf balls, and various personal mementos left by the astronauts. Other than that, the moon remains essentially the same. Nothing has changed. But conversely, Because God walked the earth, everything has changed. Everything has changed. And I ask you this Christmas morning, how would your life be different 
had God not walked the earth. You know, we went in peace to the moon. God in the flesh is the Prince of Peace. And as you and I think about how our lives would be different today, had God not walked the earth, I, for one, would not be the person that I am today. I would not be doing what I am doing today. I would not have the wife that I have today. I would not have the children, the family that I have today. You see, because he came, because he came to pay a penalty for my sins and for your sins, a penalty that you and I could not pay, everything has changed. This Christmas day, celebrate not only that God walked the earth, but that everything, including your life, has changed. Will you pray with me? Our God and our Father, we are so humbled in the realization of what you have done. Condescending to come as a man and never ceasing to be God. And yet, Father, we know that essentially you came as God's perfect, the Father's perfect communication with us. That you came to die. That you came to pay the penalty that we could not pay for ourselves. A penalty that could only be paid by a man and could only be paid by God. Thank you, Father, that you have come in the person of Jesus Christ, that you have walked the earth, and that as a result of that, our world and our lives are forever changed. We love you and we thank you. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. 